Dungeons and Dragons Basic Rules version 1.0 released November 2018. Part 3 The Rules of Magic Chapter 10 Spellcasting Magic permeates the worlds of D&D and most often appears in the form of a spell. This chapter provides the rules for casting spells. Different character classes have distinctive ways of learning and preparing their spells and monsters use spells in unique ways. Regardless of its source, a spell follows the rules here. What is a spell? A spell is a discrete magical effect, a single shaping of the magical energies that suffuse the multiverse into a specific, limited expression. In casting a spell, a character carefully plucks at the invisible strands of raw magic suffusing the world, pins them in place in a particular pattern, sets them vibrating in a specific way, and then releases them to unleash the desired effect, in most cases, all in the span of seconds. Spells can be versatile tools, weapons, or protective wards. They can deal damage or undo it, impose or remove conditions, see Appendix A, drain life energy away, and restore life to the dead. Uncounted thousands of spells have been created over the course of the multiverse's history, and many of them are long forgotten. Some might yet lie recorded in the crumbling spellbooks hidden in ancient ruins or trapped in the minds of dead gods or they might someday be reinvented by a character who has amassed enough power and wisdom to do so. Spell Level Every spell has a level from 0 to 9. A spell's level is a general indicator of how powerful it is, with the lowly but still impressive Magic Missile at 1st level and the incredible Time Stop at ninth. Cantrips, simple but powerful spells that characters can cast almost by rote, are level 0. The higher a spell level, the higher level spellcaster must be to use that spell. Spell level and character level don't correspond directly. Typically a character has to be at least 17th level, not 9th level, to cast a 9th level spell. Known and Prepared Spells Before a spellcaster can use a spell, he or she must have the spell firmly fixed in mind or must have access to the spell in a magic item. Members of a few classes have a limited list of spells they know that are always fixed in mind. The same thing is true of many magic-using monsters. Other spellcasters, such as clerics and wizards, undergo a process of preparing spells. This process varies for different classes, as detailed in their descriptions. In every case, the number of spells a caster can have fixed in mind at any given time depends on the character's level. Spell Slots Regardless of how many spells a caster knows or prepares, he or she can cast only a limited number of spells before resting. Manipulating the fabric of magic and channeling its energy into even a simple spell is physically and mentally taxing. And higher level spells are even more so. Thus, each spellcasting class's description includes a table showing how many spell slots of each spell level a character can use at each character level. For example, the third level wizard, Umara, has four first level spell slots and two second level slots. When a character casts a spell, he or she expands a slot of that spell's level or higher, effectively filling a slot with the spell. You can think of a spell slot as a grove or of a certain size. Small for a first level slot, large for a spell of higher level. A first level spell fits into a slot of any size, but a ninth level spell fits only in a ninth level slot. 
So when Umara casts Magic Missile, a first level spell, she spends one of her four first level slots and has three remaining. Finishing a long rest restores any expended spell slots, see chapter 8 for the rules on resting. Some characters and monsters have special abilities that let them cast spells without using spell slots. Casting a spell at a higher level. When a spellcaster casts a spell using a slot that is of a higher level than the spell, the spell assumes the higher level for that casting. For instance, if Umara casts Magic Missile using one of her second level slots, that Magic Missile is second level. Effectively, the spell expands to fill the slot it is put into. Some spells such as Magic Missile and Cure Wounds have more powerful effects when cast as the higher level as detailed in the spell's description. Cantrips A cantrip is a spell that can be cast at will without using a spell slot and without being prepared in advance. Repeated practice has fixed the spell in the caster's mind and infused the caster with the magic needed to produce the effect over and over. A cantrip spell level is zero. Rituals Certain spells have a special tag, Ritual. Such a spell can be cast following the normal rules for spellcasting, or the spell can be cast as a ritual. The ritual version of a spell takes 10 minutes longer to cast than normal. It also doesn't expend a spell slot, which means the ritual version of a spell can't be cast at a higher level. To cast a spell as a ritual, a spellcaster must have a feature that grants the ability to do so. The cleric and the druids, for example, have such a feature. The caster must also have the spell prepared on his or her list of spells known, unless the character's ritual feature specifies otherwise, as the wizard's does. Casting a spell When a character casts any spell, the same basic rules are followed, regardless of the character's class or the spell's effects. Each spell description in Chapter 11 begins with a block of information including the spell's name, level, school of magic, casting time, range, components, and duration. The rest of a spell's entry describes the spell's effect. Casting Time Most spells require a single action to cast, but some spells require a bonus action, a reaction, or much more time to cast. Bonus Action A spell cast with a bonus action is especially swift. You must use a bonus action on your turn to cast the spell provided that you haven't already taken a bonus action this turn. You can't cast another spell during the same turn except for a cantrip with a casting time of one action. Reactions Some spells can be cast as reactions. These spells take a fraction of a second to bring about and are cast in response to some event. If a spell can be cast as a reaction, the spell description tells you exactly when you can do so. Longer Casting Times Certain spells, including spells cast as rituals, require more time to cast, minutes or even hours. When you cast a spell with a casting time longer than a single action or reaction, you must spend your action each turn casting the spell and you must maintain your concentration while you do so. See concentration below. If your concentration is broken, the spell fails, but you don't expend a spell slot. If you want to try casting the spell again, you must start over. Range the target of a spell must be within the spell's range. For a spell like Magic Missile, the target is a creature. For a spell like Fireball, the target is the point in space where the ball of fire erupts. Most spells have ranges expressed in feet. Some spells can target only a creature, including you, that you touch. Other spells, such as the Shield spell, affect only you. These spells have a range of self. Spells that create cones or lines of effect that originate from you also have a range of self 
indicating that the origin point of the spell's effect must be you. See areas of effect later in this chapter. Once a spell is cast, its effects aren't limited by its range unless the spell's description says otherwise. Casting in Armor Because of the mental focus and precise gestures required for spellcasting, you must be proficient with the armor you are wearing to cast a spell. You are otherwise too distracted and physically hampered by your armor for spellcasting. Components A spell's components are the physical requirements you must meet in order to cast it. Each spell's description indicates whether it requires verbal V, somatic S, or material M components. If you can't provide one or more of the spell's components, you are unable to cast the spell. Verbal V Most spells require the chanting of mystic words. The words themselves aren't the source of the spell's power. Rather, the particular combination of sounds with specific pitch and resonance sets the threads of magic in motion. Thus, a character who is gauged or in an area of silence, such as one created by the silence spell, can't cast a spell with a verbal component. Somatic, S. Spellcasting gestures might include a forceful gesticulation or an intricate set of gestures. If a spell requires a somatic component, the caster must have free use of at least one hand to perform these gestures. Material, M. Casting some spells requires particular objects specified in the parentheses in the component entry. A character can use a component pouch or a spellcasting focus found in Chapter 5 in place of the component specified for a spell. But if a cost is indicated for a component, a character must have that specific component before he or she can cast the spell. If a spell states that a material component is consumed by the spell, the caster must provide this component for each casting of the spell. A spellcaster must have a hand free to access these components or to hold a spellcasting focus, but it can be the same hand that he or she uses to perform the somatic components. Duration A spell's duration is the length of time the spell persists. A duration can be expressed in rounds, minutes, hours, or even years. Some spells specify that their effects last until the spells are dispelled or destroyed. Instantaneous Many spells are instantaneous. The spell harms, heals, creates, or alters a creature or an object in any way that can't be dispelled because its magic exists only for an instant. Concentration Some spells require you to maintain concentration in order to keep their magic effective. If you lose concentration, such a spell ends. If a spell must be maintained with concentration, that fact appears in the duration entry and the spell specifies how long you can concentrate on it. You can end concentration at any time, no action required. Normal activities such as moving and attacking doesn't interfere with concentration. The following factors can break concentration. Casting another spell that requires concentration. You lose concentration on a spell if you cast another spell that requires concentration. You can't concentrate on two spells at once. Taking damage. Whenever you take damage while you are concentrating on a spell, you must make a constitution saving throw to maintain your concentration. The DC equals 10 or half the damage you take, whichever number is higher. If you take damage from multiple sources, such as an arrow and a dragon's breath, you make a separate saving throw for each source of damage. Being incapacitated or killed. You lose concentration on a spell if you are incapacitated or if you die. Duh. The DM might also decide that certain environmental phenomena, such as a wave crashing over you while you're on a storm-tossed ship, require you to succeed on a DC-10 constitution saving throw to maintain concentration on a spell. Don't be that DM.
Just, just don't. Nothing's necessarily wrong with it, but don't. Especially if you have them, like, fighting two Krakens in the middle of the sea. And then you're just like, oh, your concentration's broken because water just got poured over your face from the sea. Salty, isn't it? Hmm. Targets. A typical spell requires you to pick one or more targets to be affected by the spell's magic. A spell's description tells you whether the spell targets creatures, objects, or a point of origin for an area of effect, described below. Unless a spell has a perceptible effect, a creature might not know it was targeted by a spell at all. An effect like crackling lightning is obvious, but a more subtle effect, such as an attempt to read a creature's thoughts, typically goes unnoticed unless the spell says otherwise. A clear path to the target. To target something, you must have a clear path to it, so it can't be behind total cover. If you place an area of effect at the point that you can't see and an obstruction such as a wall is between you and that point, the point of origin comes into being on the near side of that obstruction. Targeting yourself. If a spell targets a creature of your choice, you can choose yourself unless the creature must be hostile or specifically a creature other than you. If you are in the area of effect of a spell you cast, you can target yourself. Areas of effect. Spells such as Burning Hands and Cone of Cold cover an area, allowing them to affect multiple creatures at once. A spell's description specifies its area of effect, which typically has one of five different shapes, cone, cube, cylinder, line, or sphere. Every area of effect has a point of origin, a location from which the spell's energy erupts. The rules for each shape specify how you position its point of origin. Typically, a point of origin is a point in space, but some spells have an area whose origin is a creature or an object. A spell's effect expands its straight lines from the point of origin. If no unblocked straight line extends from the point of origin to a location within the area of effect, that location isn't included in the spell's area. To block one of those imaginary lines, an obstruction must provide total cover as explained in Chapter 9. Cone a cone extends in a direction you choose from its point of origin. A cone's width at any given point along its length is equal to the point's distance from the point of origin. A cone's area of effect specifies its maximum length. A cone's point of origin is not included in the cone's area of effect unless you decide otherwise. Cube You select a cube's point of origin, which lies anywhere on a face of the cubic effect. The cube size is expressed as the length of each side. A cube's point of origin is not included in the cube's area of effect unless you decide otherwise. Cylinders A cylinder's point of origin is the center of a circle of a particular radius as given in the spell description. The circle must either be on the ground or at the height of the spell effect. The energy in a cylinder expands in straight lines from the point of origin to the perimeter of the circle, forming the base of the cylinder. The spell's effect then shoots up from the base or down from the top to a distance equal to the height of the cylinder. A cylinder's point of origin is included in the cylinder's area of effect. Line A line extends from its point of origin in a straight path up to its length and covers an area defined by its width. A line's point of origin is not included in the line's area of effect unless you decide otherwise. Sphere You select a sphere's point of origin and the sphere extends outward from that point. The sphere size is expressed as a radius in feet that extends from the point. A sphere's point of origin is included in the sphere's area of effect. Saving Throws Many spells specify that a target can make a saving throw to avoid some or all of the spell's effects. 
The spell specifies the ability that the target uses for the save and what happens on a success or failure. The DC to resist one of your spells equals 8 plus your spellcasting ability modifier plus your proficiency bonus plus any spell modifiers. Attack rules. Some spells require the caster to make an attack roll to determine whether the spell effect hits the intended target. Your attack bonus with a spell attack equals your spellcasting ability modifier plus your proficiency bonus. Most spells that require attack rolls involve ranged attacks. Remember that you have disadvantage on a ranged attack roll if you are within 15 feet of a hostile creature that can see you and isn't incapacitated. See Chapter 9. Combining Magical Effects The effects of different spells add together while the durations of those spells overlap. The effects of the same spell cast multiple times don't combine, however. Instead, the most potent effect, such as the highest bonus, from these casting applies with their durations overlap. Or the most recent effect applies if the castings are equally potent and the durations overlap. For example, if two clerics cast Bless on the same target, the character gains the spell's benefit only once. He or she doesn't get to roll two bonus dice. The Schools of Magic Academies of Magic group spells into eight categories called Schools of Magic. Scholars, particularly wizards, apply these categories to all spells, believing that all magic functions in essentially the same way whether it derives from rigorous study or is bestowed by a deity. The schools of magic help describe spells that have no rules of their own, although some rules refer to the schools. Abjuration spells are protective in nature, though some of them have aggressive uses. They create magical barriers, negate harmful effects, harm trespassers, or banish creatures to other planes of existence. Conjuration spells involve the transportation of objects and creatures from one location to another. Some spells summon creatures or objects to the caster's side, whereas others allow the caster to teleport to another location. Some conjurations create objects or effects out of nothing. Divination spells reveal information, whether in the form of secrets long forgotten, glimpses of the future, the locations of hidden things, the truth behind illusions, or visions of distant people or places. Enchantment spells affect the minds of others influencing or controlling their behavior. Such spells can make enemies see the caster as a friend, force creatures to take a course of action, or even control another creature like a puppet. Evocation spells manipulate magical energy to produce a desired effect. Some call up blasts of fire or lightning, others channel positive energy to heal wounds. Illusion spells deceive the sense or minds of others. They cause people to see things that are not there, to miss things that are there, to hear phantom noises, or to remember things that never happened. Some illusions create phantom images that any creature can see, but the most insidious illusions plant an image directly in the mind of a creature. Necromancy spells manipulate the energies of life and death. Such spells can grant an extra reserve of life force, drain the life energy from another creature, create the undead, or even bring the dead back to life. Creating the undead through the use of necromancy spells, such as an animate dead, is not a good act, and only evil casters use such spells frequently. Transmutation spells change the properties of a creature, object, or environment. They might turn an enemy into a harmless creature, bolster the strength of an ally, make an object move in the caster's command, or enhance a creature's innate healing abilities to rapidly recover from injury. 
The Weave of Magic The worlds within the D&D multiverse are magical places. All existence is suffused with magical power and potential energy lies untapped in every rock, stream, and living creature and even in the air itself. Raw magic is the stuff of creation, the mute and mindless will of existence permeating every bit of matter and present in every manifestation of energy through the multiverse. Mortals can't directly shape the raw magic. Instead, they make use of a fabric of magic, a kind of interface between the will of a spellcaster and the stuff of raw magic. The spellcasters of the Forgotten Realms call it the Weave and recognize its essence as the goddess of Mistra, but casters have varied ways of naming and visualizing this interface. By any name, without the Weave, raw magic is locked away and inaccessible. The most powerful Archmage can't light a candle with magic in an area where the weave has been torn. But surrounded by the weave, a spellcaster can shape lightning to blast foes, transport hundreds of miles in the blink of an eye, or even reverse death itself. All magic depends on the weave, through different kinds of magic access in a variety of ways. The spells of wizards, warlocks, sorcerers, and bards are commonly called arcane magic. These spells rely on an understanding, learned or intuitive, of the workings of the weave. The caster plucks directly at the strands of the weave to create the desired effect. Eldritch knights and arcane tricksters also use arcane magic. The spells of clerics, druids, paladins, and rangers are called divine magic. These spellcasters, access to the weave is mediated by divine power. Gods, the divine forces of nature, or the sacred weight of a paladin's oath. Whenever a magic effect is created, the threads of the weave interwine, twist, and fold to make the effect possible. When characters use divination spells such as detect magic or identify, they glimpse the weave. A spell such as dispel magic smooths the weave. Spells such as anti-magic field rearrange the weave so that the magic flows around rather than through the area affected by the spell. And in places where the weave is damaged or torn, magic works in unpredictable ways or not at all. End of chapter 10. Now, believe it or not, we're almost done. <laughs> um, after chapter 10, we get into a few other chapters that I personally think it would benefit you better to have the material actually in front of you so that way you can create your campaigns and your characters with these types of things. Because after chapter 10, we have chapter 11, which is spells. It's a list of cleric spells, wizard spells, and all of those spells, descriptions, and what else you would need to actually cast these spells in the game. So I think having those details would certainly be important. After chapter 11, we go into part 4, which is the Dungeon Master's Tools, which again are very important and they're meant for the DM to create a campaign. So as opposed to me just reading these all off, you can go to DungeonsAndDragons.com and look up the basic rules, especially if you want to build a campaign and if you're building a character. Uh, it's definitely something that will help so that way you have all the stats and everything that you need when building your character in these uh in this world uh so in part four you have chapter 12 which is monsters and that will give you statistics legendary creatures monster stat blocks and the npcs or non-playable characters chapter 13 is building combat encounters how you modify encounter difficulty fun combat encounters and monsters by challenge rating chapter 14 is magic items how to use a magic item and what those magic items are and there's only a little bit of what's in there especially for those magic items so I really think the rest of that is something that 
you can go through on your own, which would definitely be beneficial for you to actually have everything in front of you. Now, with the appendixes, uh, not the one inside your body, not the one we apparently don't need but can kill us at any time, as no one ever taught. Anyway, uh, Appendix A conditions is a list of conditions that apply to anything throughout the game, so I will read that. But also, Appendix B, Gods of the Multiverse, and Appendix C, the five factions, are mostly only exclusive to the Forgotten Realms uh, campaign. So instead of just reading that, I am going to read conditions, which are pretty universal. And then if you are deciding what realm you want to build your campaign in, then you can definitely find more details uh, in what the gods of those realms are, what the factions are in those realms, and everything from there. So I will finish this entire thing. Yes, we're at the end. Thank you for anyone who actually listened to this. Uh, I will read the conditions that will apply to anything through the campaign, and we'll go from what's next from there. And I'll have some closing remarks. Appendix A. Conditions. Conditions alter a creature's capabilities in a variety of ways and can arise as a result of a spell, a class feature, a monster attack, or other effect. Most conditions, such as blinded, are impairments, but a few, such as invisible, can be advantageous. A condition lasts either until it is countered, the prone condition is countered by standing up for example, or for a duration specified by the effect that imposed the condition. If multiple effects impose the same condition on a creature, each instance of the condition has its own duration, but the condition's effects don't get worse. A creature either has a condition or doesn't. The following definitions specify what happens to a creature while it is subjected to a condition. Blinded. Blinded creature can't see and automatically fails any ability check that requires sight. Attack rolls against the creature have advantage, and the creature's attack rolls have disadvantage. Charm. A charmed creature can attack the charmer or target, the charmer with harmful abilities or magical effects. The charmer has advantage on any ability check to interact socially with the creature. Deafened. A deafened creature can't hear and automatically fails any ability check that requires hearing. Frightened. A frightened creature has disadvantage on ability checks and attack rolls while the source of its fear is within line of sight. The creature can't willingly move closer to the source of its fear. Grappled. A grappled creature's speed becomes zero and it can't benefit from any bonus to its speed. The condition ends if the grappler is incapacitated. The condition also ends if an effect removes the grappled creature from the reach of the grappler or grappling effect, such as when a creature is hurled away by the thunder wave spell. Incapacitated. An incapacitated creature can't take actions or reactions. Invisible. An invisible creature is impossible to see without the aid of magic or a spell sense. For the purpose of hiding, the creature is heavily obscured. The creature's location can be detected by any noise it makes or any tracks it leaves. Attack rolls against the creature have disadvantage and the creature attack rolls have advantage. Paralyzed A paralyzed creature is incapacitated and can't move or speak. The creatures automatically fail strength and dexterity saving throws. Attack rolls against the creature have an advantage. Any attack that hits the creature is a critical hit if the attacker is within 5 feet of the creature. Petrified A petrified creature is transformed, along with any non-magical object it is wearing or carrying, into a solid, inanimate substance, usually stone. Its weight increases by a factor of 10 and it ceases aging. The creature is incapacitated, can't move or speak, and is unaware of its surroundings. Attack rolls against the creature have advantage. The creature automatically fails strength and dexterity saving throws. 
The creature has resistance to all damage. The creature is immune to poison and disease, although a poison or disease already in its system is suspended, not neutralized. Poison. A poison creature has disadvantage on attack rolls and ability checks. Prone. A prone creature's only movement option is to crawl unless it stands up and thereby ends the condition. The creature has disadvantage on attack rolls. An attack roll against the creature has advantage if the attacker is within 5 feet of the creature, otherwise the attack roll has disadvantage. Restrain. A restrained creature's speed becomes zero and it can't benefit from any bonus to its speed. Attack rolls against the creature have advantage and the creature's attack rolls have disadvantage. The creature has disadvantage on dexterity saving throws. Stunned. A stunned creature is incapacitated, can't move, and can speak only falteringly. The creature automatically fails strength and dexterity saving throws. Attack rolls against the creature have advantage. Unconscious. An unconscious creature is incapacitated, can't move or speak, and is unaware of its surroundings. The creature drops whatever it's holding and falls prone. The creature automatically fails strength and dexterity saving throws. Attack rolls against the creature have advantage. Any attacks that hit the creature is a critical hit if the attacker is within 5 feet of the creature. Exhaustion. Some special abilities and environmental hazards such as starvation and the long-term effects of freezing or scorching temperatures can lead to a special condition called exhaustion. Exhaustion is measured in 6 levels. An effect can give a creature one or more levels of exhaustion as specified in the effects description. Level 1. Disadvantage on ability checks. Level 2. Speed is halved. Level 3. Disadvantage on attack rolls and saving throws. Level 4. Hit point maximum is halved. Level 5, speed reduced to 0, and level 6, death. If an already exhausted creature suffers another effect that causes exhaustion, its current level of exhaustion increases by the amount specified in the effects description. A creature suffers the effect on its current level of exhaustion as well as all lower levels. For example, a creature suffering level 2 exhaustion has its speed halved and has disadvantage on ability checks. An effect that removes exhaustion and reduces its level as specified in the effects description, with all exhaustion effects ending if a creature's exhaustion level is reduced below 1. Finishing a long rest reduces a creature's exhaustion level by 1, provided that the creature also has ingested some food and drink. Also, being raised from the dead reduces a creature's exhaustion level by 1. Now, what comes next? The starter set is a great next step if you want to try your hand at being a dungeon master and introduce your friends to the game. If you don't know any DMs, try taking on that role yourself. The starter set is the best place to begin your journey. The player's handbook is your essential guide to additional races, classes, backgrounds, and other customization options such as feats and multi-classing. You'll also find more than 200 extra spells and a beautiful array of art depicting elements of D&D. The Monster Manual describes the most important monsters in the Dungeons & Dragons universe. The manual is aimed at DMs, but is also a useful reference for players. The Dungeon Master's Guide is the ultimate tome of DM lore. It includes magic items, optional rules, and guidelines for creating everything from a simple dungeon to an entire cosmos for your campaign. Each year brings the publication of a new D&D adventure. These scenarios and campaigns are the perfect way to try your hand at running a D&D game with a minimum of work. Looking for a regular D&D game or prefer dropping in when you have time? Check the store and event locker on our website to see if your local game store is running such events as D&D Encounters or D&D Expeditions. 
Bring your games to life with a suite of enhancements from a robust set of player and DM digital tools to accessories like miniatures, vinyl mats, campaign mats, clothing, and more. It isn't always possible to gather a regular gaming group. In such situations, Dungeons & Dragons board games present an ideal casual play experience. You'll also find a variety of digital games that offer a D&D experience across Mac, PC, tablets, and mobile devices. Level up your D&D game by visiting DungeonsAndDragons.com to see the suite of the Dungeons & Dragons offerings. And that, ladies and germs, is the ending of learning the basic rules of Dungeons & Dragons with me, Brian Keith Nelson. Uh, thank you for anyone who's listening. I'm going to keep this outro short because I don't even know how to close my other podcast. So, you, I, I have an issue with closing. So, if you would like to continue checking out what I'm doing or what I do outside this, you can find me on social media at Blacksican Thunder. B-L-A-K-X-I-C-A-N-T-H-U-N-D-A. Or if you would like to reach out and like a mail, like email type of thing, I... I don't know why I said it so weirdly like that. I apologize. You can send an email to my Gmail account, which is Blacksican, spelled the exact same way, productions at gmail.com. Um, that's basically it. I just, I figured if I was going to read the rules and learn how to play Dungeons and Dragons correctly, uh, why not at least transcribe it for people who would prefer to kind of listen to it as opposed to, you know, reading everything. So to anyone who made it this far, seriously, thank you. This is just something I figured I would do. Um, but if you guys would actually like for me to go more in-depth with Dungeons & Dragons or like to hear my progress on stuff, or if you just, I don't know, want to hear more from me, let me know. You know, reach out on social media or, you know, reach out to my Gmail account and let me know. It's always good to hear feedback, so I guess I know what's going good and what's not. But I rambled too long, so again, uh, thank you to Wade and Shannon who blessed me with a starters pack you know i got dice and everything like i said in episode one and then they gave me the rule guide and everything but also just supporting me uh finally growing up to be the nerd i've always wanted to be now that i'm a little bit older and i can kind of afford it so thank you for listening this has been learning the basics of dungeons and dragons with me brian keith nelson take care <laughs>